Well, we're going to continue in our studies of uh, the book of Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 23. Now, it's really important, uh, and this is something I've tried to, to convey the entire series. Matthew is a huge book of the New Testament. Uh, it takes a couple hours to read, probably, if you went straight through. Um, but it's important to see the larger context and how these different chapters are all interrelated and, and connect together. And so Matthew 23 is a part of the same uh, context, the same argument, all the way back to 21. Um, Jesus comes into the city as God's Messiah, as the King. And he does so in a way that's kind of unexpected, humble, uh, on a colt, um, on a donkey. But this is the fulfillment of Scripture. And so what he is doing is expected if we truly understand the Scriptures. Um, and so from that point forward, he is exercising authority, and then his authority is challenged and in question. And so uh, we've looked at that the last several weeks. Jesus speaks in parables concerning his own authority and his relationship to the religious establishment, the religious leaders. And so that's why I say this psalm, um, this passage is so fitting to the Psalm 58. Uh, these wicked leaders um, ultimately are in contention to God's Messiah. And so the king asserts his authority. That's what we'll see today. Um, he did it through triumphal entry, through his actions in the temple, flipping tables, through cursing a fig tree, debates with religious leaders, and finally we're going to look at seven woes. Seven woes are pronounced today. And so the structure of this passage, just so you have the kind of the backbone of it, um, I'm calling the title of it Kingdom Woe. Kingdom Woe. We'll talk about what that means, what the word woe means. But there's really three, well four points. Uh, first we have warning, kingdom warning. Secondly, that's verses 1 to 12. It's kind of the context for this whole thing. Um, kingdom warning. And then uh, point number two is kingdom judgment. And that's verses 13 to 36. The, those are the seven woes. Kingdom judgment. Kingdom warning, kingdom judgment. And then uh, finally, we have kingdom lament. Uh, this chapter ends with a lament by Jesus himself. And so I would add a fourth point, kingdom response. What do we do with these words? Uh, that Jesus is about to unleash on these uh, religious leaders. Um, he's doing so in the hearing of his own disciples. He's doing so in the hearing of the crowds. Uh, and so Jesus is going to warn the crowds and his disciples uh, not to follow false leadership. Then, then, uh, in, the, in the midst of his warning, he's going to directly pronounce seven woes for the deadly actions of these religious leaders. And so it's, it, the water has boiled. We talked about that last week. The water was boiling, and now it is full, full flame. I mean, um, Jesus is going to, he's coming full force. So let's turn our attention to God's word for us today. Um, Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do not, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. 
for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We'll pick up with the rest of the passage in just a moment. But verses 1 to 12, kingdom warning, kingdom warning. Uh, Jesus talks to them, uh, to the crowds and his disciples, and he says, the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. This was a place, this, this represented a place of authority. They sat in Moses' seat. Um, until recently, mo- modern archaeology has discovered that there was a chair in a synagogue. They found one, and so they thought perhaps, they're thinking perhaps this is literally Moses' seat, the place of authority where the person would sit Remember when the rabbis would teach, they would stand for the reading of the scriptures, then sit, uh, then sit to uh, expound the scriptures and interpret them. But Jesus says, um, they sit in Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they preach. Um, This is a tough, this is a tough one, right? I think every parent, I'm I'm a new parent, um, doesn't want to live this way. Like, do what I say, don't do what I do. Like, Dad, you said don't yell. You're yelling at me. Well, do what I say. Don't do what I do. Um, So I'm going to have to walk this road. We all do. Um, But they are religious leaders. And Jesus says, insofar, this is what he means in verse 3, insofar as they accurately teach and interpret the scriptures, they, they were to be obeyed. So as long as they are speaking the truth, then do the truth. So Jesus is saying, be married to the truth, whether it comes from somebody who's not practicing it or not. But, it, but in verse 3, he links, you see the word so, in my translation, the ESV, so do and observe whatever they tell you. That's relate, related to Moses' seat, the place of authority. And so it's related to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, it was called, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But Jesus is making it very clear. We've seen um, shadows of this in the past conflicts and confrontations, chapter 12, chapter 15. Jesus says, do not, flat out, do not obey the oral traditions of the elders. That comes from uh, Matthew 15, the traditions of the elders. Don't obey those because, as we talked about back then, uh, tradition is meant to uphold the truth never to contradict it or to replace the truth. So don't do what they do, do what they say, as long as they're in alignment with the truth. Um, Jesus, in his ministry, shows that much 
extra-biblical teaching, much of the extensive additions or traditions is wrong. Uh, he, he has done this. Back in chapter 12, we use the analogy of their teaching is like a boa constrictor. Um, and Jesus goes on in, in chap, uh, verse 4, he says this, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. These heavy burdens were like a boa constrictor and heavy. Um, and in verse 5, it talks about something called phylacteries. That sounds strange. Well, it's basically a leather box that they would tie between the, the, on the frontlets of their head um, between their eyes. And this was in obedience, literal obedience, to Deuteronomy 6, 8 and Deuteronomy 11, 18 and then a place in Exodus as well. God told his people, keep my word on, uh, uh, in, the, in the frontlets of your eyes. And they would also have a box tied to their left arm. And in the box was scripture written on parchment paper. And they were literally obeying this command. So they're tying God's word to their forehead. Now, we understand that in Deuteronomy 6 to be, uh, be thinking about God's word continually. Meditate on it day and night. Um, another uh, thing that Jesus points out for them is that they, they, they're, they're fringes. And this is in verse 5 as well. Um, their fringes are long. Uh, when the woman who reached out and touched Jesus' garment, this would have been a fringe that, that she would have touched back in chapter 9, I believe. But these fringes were blue tassels, and they were tied to the, the, the garb, uh, the garment of everyone. They were to do this according to the scriptures. And they, these, uh, t- these fringes reminded them to obey God's word and to live a holy life. Verse 7, Jesus uh, talks to them about titles. Um, And he says here, um, And greeting in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Rabbi literally means my Lord. It was a term of high respect for outstanding teachers. So in verses 8 to 10, we see this kingdom, the rest of the kingdom warning here, uh, that they are not... um, They're not to uh, set up this hierarchical, I don't know if that's a word, structure, um, not trying to gain authority over one another. Uh, Since Jesus is the ultimate authority of each and every one of his disciples, that's you and me. And so we're not to say, well, this person over here is a special, has a special place in God's kingdom. We're all brothers, uh, he says here in this passage. You are all brothers and sisters. And we have one teacher, and we have one father, and we have one instructor, and that is the Christ. And so we should never replace um, Jesus' place in our lives with a man. Um, So don't serve men. And we're told that over and over again. Don't put our trust in men. Some put their trust in chariots or horses, but our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. And that is the Christ. Jesus has that ultimate place in our lives. So uh, before we move on from this kingdom warning, just a few points about it. Uh, Jesus is not prohibiting the use of titles. So when my son can speak English and he grows up a little bit more uh, and he says, Father, it's not like, oh, son, 
you can't call me father because you have one father in heaven. Jesus isn't being that literal about it, uh, but he is saying, don't use these terms the way the, the Pharisees and the scribes do. They use it to set up this system of uh, this person is father um, and he is exalted and his human pride is reinforced. Um, so there's a wrong spirit about using these terms. We know that to be true of, you know, uh, hundreds of years uh, of Christianity. Um, there was a hierarchical system with someone called father and, you know, bishop over here and this over there and the misuse of titles and terms. So don't you misuse those. Next, let's look at, so we've seen kingdom warning. Jesus is just warning them flat out. He, this is not the first time, and we shouldn't be completely surpri surprised. Uh, back in 15, uh, no, was it 16? Um, he told his disciples, uh, let me see here. Yes, he said flat out in, in verse uh, chapter 16, um, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so Jesus has continually throughout his ministry been confronting these false teachers, but here he's going to lay it all out. And so we have kingdom judgment. Uh, this is verses thir 13 to 36, almost the end of the chapter. Listen for the word woe. Um, woe. Uh, it's mentioned seven times here. Uh, actually, in some of our, if, you, if your Bible is the same translation as mine, it goes from verse 13 to verse 15 <clears throat> with a little note in between. And it says at the bottom that some manuscripts here add uh, another woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Um, and so there's an extra woe in some manuscripts. What do we do with that? Well, uh, we don't have to, you know, get anxious um, and think, oh, no, the Bible's not reliable. <laughs> um, there are a few discrepancies in the ancient manuscripts that we do have. Um, but the Bible is absolutely reliable. It's the most reliable book in history. Um, there's so much to be said about this. But any time there is kind of a, uh, an, an, a note about ancient, the ancient translation process. The, the New Testament tells us about that. The Bible tells us about that. And any, um, any possible difficulty, there are solutions for them. And so liberal scholars like to eat and take a bite and say, oh, let's see, huh, hey, here. Um, it's, you know, but, but there's, they're flat out honest about it. So that was a, sorry about that tangent, but I think it's important that the scriptures are reliable and, and um, Jesus here is going to give direct criticisms as he has repeated throughout his ministry. Also, um, as I read this passage, listen for how these uh, seven woes, I was going to call this sermon seven curses um, or kingdom curse, but I'll, I'll explain why I won't do that. Um, I'll just leave it at kingdom woe, because the word woe means more than just curse. Um, so these stand in contrast to the, the Beatitudes, um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. He does that seven times, and you could argue, well, eight times. And so um, 
seven or eight times. This is in stark contrast to the blessings of the kingdom. And here are these woes. And so let's turn our attention to the scriptures, verses 13 to 36. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the, the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. We'll stop there for a moment. Those are the first two woes. Now, before we talk about that, um, this number of seven, uh, as many of, as you can recall, means completeness or perfection. And so, in the word woe is one more than curse. It's a mixture of condemnation, which I would say is curse, but also regret and sorrow. And so it's a mixture of condemnation, regret, and sorrow every time Jesus says, woe. It's a term of interjection like, oh no, um, like uh, when you're absolutely shocked in a bad situation, like I can't believe this is happening. So, uh, people, many people use profanity in such moments, but oh no. Um, I'm not saying Jesus is using profanity, he's not. Um, but it's just a, an interjection, interjection time of um, a shocking moment. This word is used throughout the Old Testament as well, but not very much. Um, Luke uses it 13 times, and the closest in the Old Testament is six times in the book of Ezekiel. But Matthew uses it 12 times, and if you want to include this eighth woe, 13 times as well. And so, uh, and the book of Revelation uses it in chapter 8, 9, 11, and 12. Lots of woes in Revelation. Also, Revelation 8, 13 uses woe three times in a row. It says, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. We don't hear words repeated three times in a row in scripture, except for a few occasions, on rare occasions, that is holy, 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 uh, at two places, Revelation 4 and Isaiah 6. And so, um, Jesus uses woe seven times, or eight, in this passage, and he is showing God's judgment will be complete and perfectly just. So let's look at the, the rest of these. We looked at one, we read one and two, the third woe begins in verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe number four, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The fifth woe, uh, verse uh, 25, 26. Um, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Verse 27 uh, I think I'm on number six. Uh, here we go. Uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and, and Pharisees, hypocrites, you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Seven woes. So um, Jesus uses a lot of imagery in his uh, teaching. And so the first woe, I, I drew a picture of a, a door, and it's absolutely shut. So the first woe, the shut door. And I tried to use an S for every point of these seven uh, woes because my mom pointed out that a pastor at one of her churches does that. I was like, it's called alliteration. It uh, sounds fun. Um, or it's a memory device, right? So the, the shut door. Um, I'll try to use S's. I, I, I wasn't successful, but maybe you can tell me afterward how to fix my, my points. The shut door. Jesus tells them that um, with a mixture of, remember, a mixture of condemnation, regret, and sorrow. Um, so he's not just cursing them and just going to walk away. I mean, his heart is full of sorrow, as we'll see at the end of this passage. The teachers were false, and the Pharisees were leading the people not to the kingdom, but away from the kingdom of God instead. In fact, they were leading them away from the king. And Jesus is the door. Um, John 10 he says, I am the door of the sheep. And so they're telling all the crowds, all their disciples, that follow the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, they're saying, don't follow this man. He is dangerous and he is not teaching the scriptures accurately. But Jesus is the way of salvation. So a question for us is how do we recognize false teaching? Um, 
that is a difficult question to answer, but I think the scriptures help us. Uh, we have to listen carefully and have discernment. And when we know the truth, we can discern error. In 1 John 4, 1, 2, and 3, it says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that doesn't does not confess Jesus, is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So I would say this, um, false teaching sometimes is extremely subtle. Uh, you can't, sometimes you can't just go and listen to a speaker one time and say, well, that's a false teacher. But after uh, listening for a while, we can begin to discern, does he ever mention Christ? Does he ever mention um, that there is one way to be saved and that is God's Messiah through Christ? And if he doesn't, then actually, according to John, he's an antichrist because Jesus is the door. There's no other way for us to have eternal life. Now, how does this play out in everyday life? Um, we went to IHOP the other day and met a guy and, and Dalal said, he's, he's gotta be from the Middle East. And we're like, yeah, we're trying to guess his country. He's from Jordan, and he said, God bless you, God bless you. And I said, are you a Christian? We're Christian. And he said, oh, I'm a Muslim. You know, it's all the same thing. And I'm thinking in my mind, well, we don't have time for a theological treatise over pancakes, but uh, it's not the same thing. And um, his name's Sammy. You know, I pray for him. Uh, he's so friendly. Yes, he's friendly. But is he, is he correct that, you know, we have the same, we're all brothers, we have the same father? No, he's not. And so Jesus is the only way. Um, so pray for Sammy at IHOP. Uh, I asked him how long he'd been in the U.S. He said two weeks. And I was like, whoa, amazing English. And he's like, just kidding, two decades. Uh, so he's been here for a while. Uh, woe number two. Um, here's my S. Enslaved converts. Okay, sorry. Like the N part is a prefix for me. So you could just call them slaves. Um, enslaved converts. So the picture, the first picture is a door that is locked with chains on the outside. Don't go in there. He's dangerous. The second one is shackles, uh, double shackles, actually, around the feet. And so Jesus is not criticizing the religious leaders for trying to make converts and try to spread the truth. But they are zealous going over sea, traveling all over the world. And, and, and he's using hyperbole, um, exaggerated language at times here to make his point but he says you travel uh, over uh, where is it sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert and then when he becomes one he becomes uh, twice as much a child of hell and so uh, the word for hell here is Gehenna there was a trash dump outside of the city south of Jerusalem called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom and there the trash burned and it was a it became a metaphor for eternal punishment and so uh they traveled across sea and land so my question for us today is is it possible to follow a ministry or a church leader for one or two or three decades and still not understand the gospel or truly know god through christ sadly it, yes 
This happens generation after generation. It happened throughout church history. Uh, people were being led by what Jesus calls blind guides. So a terrible woe awaits those who mislead. The third woe, I uh, called this slippery oaths. Okay, like fork tongued. So the snake has like a tongue with a fork. Um, so Jesus explains from 16 to 22 um, that the religious leaders would make all these distinctions. They'd say, well, the temple is distinguished from the gold of the temple. And they had these superficial distinctions that overlooked the higher principles of the law. So for us today, those with faith in God need only to give a simple yes or a simple no. Um, so a prayer for us is, Father, make our speech pure. Um, this Actually, I was shocked a few months, months ago, weeks, I can't remember how long ago it was. I went to the embassy, U.S. Embassy, um, and the man asked me when I, my son, I needed to get a passport for him. He said, raise your right hand and say, I swear <laughs> that everything on this document was, was correct and true. And I was like, oh, that, that verse came to my mind, but I, I just did it. So there wasn't a, again, a theological discourse in the passport office. Um, but in my heart, my yes is yes and my no is no. That's my prayer. And uh, Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.12 tells us to set an example. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example in speech. So may our speech be pure. So we have the shut door, shackles, um, enslaved converts, slippery oaths. And then fourth, woe, straining the gnat. That's what I called it. Straining the gnat, swallowing the camel. So it's a picture of a wine cup or a milk dish, a milk bowl, and a, a, a gnat in it, and a camel, and swallowing the camel. Now both the gnat and the camel were unclean animals, and so the, the, um, the religious leaders would strain their drink before they uh, drank it so they wouldn't get uh, unclean to touch it. But Jesus uses hyperbole again, or exaggerated speech, to show them that they are fat and they have a weight problem, okay? A weight problem. Uh, real quick, my dad told me a story when he was a kid uh, that he and my uncle were sitting there and an, a fly flew into the milk. And he took the fly and he sucked the milk off the fly. Um, not quite what these, these religious leaders were doing, but he said, I don't want that fly to take any of my milk. I love it too much. And if it's the same uncle, I, I met him, and he doesn't speak much English. I don't know if he speaks any English. And um, my dad would translate for us. And I was like, "What?" he's so funny. He said, uh, I want to go to America because if I go there, I'll drink cappuccino out of a bowl. And uh, I was like, wow. Yeah, that's, that is kind of how America is the portion size. If you want a taste of it, go to Cheesecake Factory and they'll give you a American size por portion. Uh, but anyways, they strained the gnats and they swallowed the camel. And Jesus is saying this, they, they were scrupulous. They were so diligent in the minor details that they neglected the important matters. Um, so they cared about spices in the, in the kitchen. And this is in the law, mint, dill, and cumin. I didn't know what this was when I was a kid, but now I do because my wife likes to bake and cook and we're in the kitchen. Mint, dill, cumin. Um, 
they got lost in the details and they missed the main point. We can't do that in our Christian lives. And um, here's an here's a application for us. Uh, my wife and I are reading Chronicles right now, and it is easy to get lost in the details. I mean, it is chapters of names when you begin it. But what's the main point? The main point of, of Chronicles is these people have been in exile and they need hope and they're remembering their identity and their history and that these events happened in history to real people from Adam all the way up to the end of the Old Testament. And it's, it's a book of hope. And so if you forget the main point, you can easily get lost in the details. And uh, we need to put first things first and give weight. They had a weight problem, right? Um, they're eating camels. They're, they're heavy. But Jesus says it this way, um, that they neglected the weightier matters of the law. And these three are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So this isn't so much about, you know, how we use our time, but it's, it's not about time management, but about heart management. You know, you could make a to-do list and, um, I don't know, on my to-do list is buy ice cream and do my son's passport work. And I might, you know, get the ice cream knocked off and this and that and the, the minor things, but don't miss the, the big things. But it's more about heart management, so we don't want to um, neglect what is most important. Next, the fifth woe. Uh, I call this the sparkling clean outside, or sparkling clean cup, and the filthy inside. So I drew a picture of a, a dish, and it's sparkling clean on the outside, but it's got nasty, filthy filth on the inside. Um, this is verse 25-26. Looks can be deceiving. Uh, these religious leaders are actually clueless as to their corrupt internal, um, their hearts. They don't know. And that's why Jesus repeatedly calls them blind, blind, blind. And I don't know. These are strong, harsh, direct, not harsh. These are strong, confrontational words. But I see these words as very kind. Um, Jesus is not doing what many of us are tempted to do and ignore the confrontation. He goes to them and tells them flat out face to face what the truth is, and they have an opportunity to repent and change. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, the outside is looks beautiful, the inside filthy. Uh, number six. Sepulchers, uh, that's a hard word to say. Uh, it's trying to stick with the S. Uh, whitewashed tombs, okay? Um, tombs. So these religious leaders are like tombs. Um, in their day, they could be out, uh, outwardly, extravagantly uh, beautiful, uh, but inside, under the surface, death and decay within. In their day, they would paint these tombs with white paint. Um, and, and the paint was a warning. Because if the people walked by this cemetery, uh, if you will, they would have to quarantine for seven days because they would be unclean. And so uh, the paint on these tombs was a warning. Stay away from these dead bones and you will stay ritually clean. Jesus said, you're just like that. To their faces. Number seven, the last one here, 
They are sons of murderers or seed of murderers. Murderers of the prophets. So what's the main point Jesus is saying here? He, you know, we don't want to get lost in the details either. He says the main point is this. They are at the point of scheming to kill Christ. And they are showing that they are slithering snakes. And he calls them snakes. Just like Satan in the garden. Um, in the psalm we read today, rip out the fangs of the snake. Um, they are following in the footsteps of their ancestors who persecuted and murdered God's prophets. And so Jesus ends with saying this, that um, he starts with the first shed blood in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Abel's, and that's in the book of Genesis, and the end of the Old Testament. In the book of 2 Chronicles, Zechariah is mentioned as being murdered on the altar. So there's the first murder and the last murder. And he's saying, hey, <laughs> you are associating yourself with the, uh, the as the descendants. You're identifying yourself as the descendants of murderers. And so um, Jesus cuts right to it. So verse 36, um, rather than repent and believe, responding to this unique opportunity to receive Jesus as the Messiah and participate in God's kingdom, the religious people of their day in that generation would continue to spill blood. And now we'll see at the end of this week, Passion Week, the blood of Jesus and his followers, the apostles, and they will face the wrath of God. How does Jesus feel about this? What does he think about this? Well, it tells us this kingdom woe is one of lament. So we'll close with verses 37 to 39. Jesus says this. He said, Woe seven times, Jerusalem, twice. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a lot here in this lament, uh, but we'll close with this. The temple and the religious establishment and authority would collapse and be destroyed by the year 70 AD. And Jesus here quotes from Psalm 118, and he's identifying himself as God's Messiah. Uh, God's Messiah and Savior, who will once again come to his people, but he will do so after judgment, and he'll do so with mercy and faithfulness through the cross. And so Romans really unpacks God's salvation plan for us. Uh, Romans 9 to 11 talks about God's purpose for uh, the Jews, that God has not thrown them in the, in the trash can, that he has a plan for uh, Jerusalem, for the people of Israel who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, we Gentiles have come into the fold, but a day is coming when many Jews uh, will come into the kingdom. The phrase is, all Israel will be saved. Um, I believe that to mean a large number of uh, Jews will come to faith in Christ and see him to be the savior of the world. So conclusion, we must, you and me, we must have the righteousness of God to enter the kingdom of God. There's one door, and that is Christ. 
no amount of self-righteousness will ever be enough for us. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says all our righteous acts are filthy rags. All our righteous deeds are filthy rags. God only accepts his son's righteousness because only Jesus' righteousness is enough, is perfect for a perfect and holy father. Nothing unclean will ever enter God's kingdom. It says that in Revelation 21. The problem, our problem, our sin problem, our weight problem, our um, enslavement problem, our speech problem, our, uh, all of these things, our being beautiful on the outside or and ugly on the inside, all of these things are resolved uh, through repentance by turning from our sin and turning to Christ and trusting in him for salvation. So, uh, man, we need to stay away from some of the seemingly beautiful things in this world. <laughs> uh, false teachers look beautiful. They do. Um, like angels of light, the scriptures tell us. And uh, I, don't know, I have a couple applications, but uh, I'll end with Romans chapter 3 um, about the righteousness of God here. This is Romans 3, 23 uh, to 26. You know, kingdom, whoa, wow, it's for all of us, really, outside of Christ. But God says this, all have sinned and fall short of the, God, of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's every human being. But, it says in verse 24, and are justified or made right in God's sight by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are the holy God and you speak to sinful humanity. Um, Jesus, you don't mix any words. Your condemnation and the regret and the sorrow that these relig religious leaders uh, will experience is very clear here in this passage. Uh, thank, uh, thank you for sh telling us the truth, for being the truth. And thank you that um, this chapter ends with lament, that it is your, the desire of your heart that we would repent and believe and trust in you. Please help us to do that. Um, I pray that the truth would go deep in us and that you would shape and fashion us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.